we're going to look at um, we're going to look at Genesis 15 today, and this is one of the benefits of honestly working through the Word of God and going through books of the Bible. Because I would not have preached this passage, and the reason I wouldn't have preached it is because I don't understand anything in it. And I had to do a lot of work to figure out why in the world Genesis 15 uh, is in the book. But that's why it's so important that we do it exactly the way we do it, that we're faithful to the text. Because you know, I believe that it is inerrant, it is perfect, it is the word of God from cover to cover. And if that is the case, then we need to understand what it says. Am I right, church? All right, so... Genesis 15, you need your Bibles, iPhones, iPads, scrolls, rocks, whatever it is you operate with, because you're going to have questions, and you're going to write, he can't be right, that cannot be right, I need to look this up, and I want you to look it up, because Joe is not infallible, but God is. And so, you know, you're not going to stand before God and say, Joe said, because you might hear Joe who, so just... Just letting you know how this plays out, all right? But, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about the Tower of Babel, all right? It's been, a, been maybe a month or so now. And we talked about how the languages all developed as God scattered people around the world. And English is really not that complex of a language, like grammatically and such. Like if you want to learn language, go across the hall right now. There's a church going on, a church service going on in Mandarin Chinese. Go try to, go try to read Mandarin Chinese. Go try to read Japanese or to learn that like some of you have and that's amazing. But English is only difficult because we stole everybody else's words. All right. It's like, well, this is not English, but it is because we stole it like from the Spanish. Gracias. We didn't change it. We just took it. Gracias. All right. We're good. We, we don't need to change it. German. Kindergarten. Well, that's a German word. Yeah, well, I, why change it? We'll just steal the German word, the French, hors d'oeuvres. But that's just for starters. <laughs> <clears throat> Did you know something was coming? Yeah. Oh, oh. All right. C.S. Lewis, listen to this. This cat was an atheist for a long time, became a Christian, uh, became a very prolific writer. He said in the 60s, a frightened world needs a bold church. And sadly, we see churches dying everywhere, and they're dying because they're not bold, because they don't believe in the authority of Scripture. They don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. They believe it contains the Word of God, which means they believe they're God. Uh, they're not bold. They, in fact, most of the time, they blend in with the culture. Sometimes the churches are crazier than the culture. That's the world that we live in. But C.S. Lewis also said this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true... Of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Now since I'm talking to the church, what it cannot be is moderately important. Either it is true or it's false. Either Jesus was God, died on a cross, rose from the dead, or he didn't. And if he did, then it is of utmost importance for everyone on the earth. Would you agree with that? All right, so that's that's what we're going to focus on today in Genesis 15. Now, I promise you, you're going to get lost as I'm reading this passage, but I'm going to read it because you need to hear it, then we'll explain it. All right, stand with me out of respect for God's word. Here we go. 
So after this, after what? We've got to go back two weeks. Last week was Easter. Two weeks ago, we were in Genesis 14. <clears throat> Abraham had gone from southern Israel up to northern Israel to rescue his nephew Lot, who had been captured, his whole family, all their stuff. <clears throat> and on the way back, he stopped in Jerusalem and he ran into a man named Melchizedek. Remember that? And Melchizedek means king of righteousness and king of peace. He ran into Jesus. We showed you where God lives in Jerusalem. That Melchizedek's temple was there in Jerusalem. Okay? So after that event where Melchizedek comes out and brings bread and juice, wine, communion. And then Abraham gives a tithe back, 10%. We know that we're dealing with God. So Abraham has had this confrontation with God. And it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. It says, do not be afraid. Let me ask you something. Have you ever seen that phrase before in the New Testament? How about when Peter was walking on the water? What did Jesus say? Do not be afraid. How about when Jesus, after the resurrection, walked through a wall and the disciples were flipping out? Yeah. Abraham, I am your shield. The word there is buckler. I'm the one who's in front of you. I am your protector. And I am your very great reward. But Abram said, very respectfully, O sovereign Lord, king of the universe, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is an old man named Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him again and said, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Abraham's almost a hundred, his wife's almost ninety. He took him outside and he said, Abraham, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Yesterday I'm driving up and down Clyde Morris before service and after service last night. And I'm watching all of our Jewish neighbors walk back and forth to synagogue. And all I could think of is there's the promise to Abraham. The stars are still there. They're still being born. The stars are still being created that God promised to Abraham 4,000 years ago. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, can we go back just for a second? What did Abraham do? Yeah, he didn't do anything. He believed. He believed. Just hang on to that. He also said to him, I am the Lord. Well... Have we ever seen this phrase before? Let's go back to that one. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the bread, I am the door, I am the gate. I just took you through the Gospel of John. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Since the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a cow, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. <clears throat> Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves of opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses. 
But Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Hang on. A thick, dreadful darkness. You ever heard that in scripture before? Right before Jesus died on the cross. And what if I told you where this happened is the exact spot where Jesus was crucified? As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into that deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years in Egypt. But I will punish the nation that serves as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, Abraham, (coughs) will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, however, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, this is where it gets tough, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. You can be seated. Okay, hopefully your mind is in full meltdown. Now let's see if we can explain it. Because there's a few lessons uh, to be learned here once we understand what's going on. First of all, Abraham knew the voice of God. Now this is the fourth time in four chapters I've heard this story. In chapter 12, God calls Abraham out of Babylon, out of Ur, and he says, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. The Messiah is going to come through your line. Chapter 13, he promises him again. Chapter 14, when he meets with Melchizedek. Chapter 15, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. How do I know this? Come on, we'll look at the stars. Last week we looked at sand. He said, look at the sand on the seashore. That's how many descendants there's going to be from your line. So that promise is there. But what I want you to see is that Abraham knew the voice of God. Now pay attention. This is very important. Then you can nod off. There's only two voices in this world. God's voice and Satan's voice. Well, I was talking to Fred. Well, you might have been talking to Fred or Mary. But there's only two voices. Either Fred and Mary are representing the voice of God or they're representing the voice of Satan. There's only two voices in the world. I don't care what we're talking about. So maybe that helps you sort this out because people say, well, you know, I have a lot of visions too. It scares me even though I talk to you about, yes, that is happening right now in the Islamic world. And it's happening there because they don't have the Bible the way we have it. And there's, a, there's some spiritual breakthroughs that are going on. But usually, when I hear an American, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, I had this vision. Mm. And what was your vision? Well, in my vision, God told me to divorce my husband. No, no, he didn't do that. How do you know? Because the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. And we live in an age where that nobody understands it. I'm watching, and I hate to use the word preacher, but I have nothing, no other frame of reference. There was this person who was in a church building behind a pulpit who was talking. I thought it was a parody. You know, I watch a lot of funny stuff online. I thought it was a parody. This person's all dressed up in ecclesiastical garb. 
And the message was, there are as many ways to God as there are people on the earth. Because God made you all unique and bizarre in your sexuality. And he went through all this, you know, all the stuff that's going on. And there's as many ways to God as there are perversions in you. That's pretty much what was being said. And I thought, okay, it's a parody. I kept listening. She went on and doubled down over and over again. And I thought, you know, this person has a PhD. And in third grade, I could have refuted this. The Bible says there's only one name under heaven by which you must be saved. That would be the name of Jesus. That's Acts 4.12. Um, we could we could also look at uh, other passages where it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except mm. And here's this preacher. Again, I hate to use, I hate to be included with her. Um, saying, there's as many ways to God as there are people on the planet. Well, that's just an out-and-out -out lie. And the problem is, people are going to go to hell, and they're going to say, well, she said, and God's going to say, yeah, sorry, she didn't make the cut. So you want to be really careful who you're listening to. That's why I tell you all the time, don't listen to me. Because God's not going to be impressed when you say, well, God, Pastor Joe and Pastor Cord and Pastor Cliff, they all said this. God's word is holy. God is holy. The rest of us just work here. That's why it's imperative that you and I know the voice and the word of God. And I'll tell you, if you're a Christian and you're a believer and you, you are living it, you'll hear people and they'll quote scripture, but then you'll go, ooh, Something's not right about that. Oh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. When you feel that way, that's, there's a very good reason you feel that way. And it's because they're using the word of God in a very wrong way. Abraham knows the voice of God because he's been talking with him. So you got to know, am I listening to God or am I listening to Satan? Because there's only two choices. There's only two voices. So who am I actually listening to? Jesus said it this way in John 10. He said, my sheep listen to me. I know them and they they follow me. They don't follow some crazy teaching. They don't follow some pastor. They look at the word. They read the book and they do what he said. That's all that matters. But then... The second part of this, and it's kind of cheesy from a song that's out right now, but you need to understand the broken road, all right? Because Abraham has got questions. Fourth time, and, and I don't know, this is over a period probably of a few months. It's not like, you know, four days like we're reading it here in the text. <clears throat> but four times, God has told Abraham, you're the man. I'm using you, I'm using your family, and through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. The Messiah is going to come through your line. Four times God's told him that. And Abraham raises his hand because he's so respectful of God. Something else you need to pay close attention to instead of dressing him in some flippant cavalier way. Oh, sovereign Lord, king of the universe in charge of everything. I got a question. I ain't got no kids. How are we going to fulfill this mission when I ain't got no kids? 
And all I got is old uncle, old uncle up there in Damascus, and he's not going to have any kids either. God, we got a problem. You ever feel that way? Are you on a road right now where you're like, maybe you caused it, maybe somebody else caused it, maybe you contributed to it, and you're like, why am I in this mess? Well, maybe it's money or your marriage or addictions or or whatever. You're on that broken road right now, and you're like, God, what do I do? God, this is a mess. I want you to see in this passage that God is never rushed. He's never in a hurry, and he's never upset. Abraham's like, God, this, I'm almost 100, Sarah's 90. Uh, I guess it's going to be one of my, you know, one of my cousins over here. And Abraham is told, no, no. The one that I'm going to bless is going to come right from you. Well, Abraham's still going to mess this up. Because Abraham is going to end up sleeping with Sarah's maid. One of her maids and have a boy named Ishmael, which is why we're praying Monday because of the mess that's been going on for 4,000 years between Islam and Christianity. Because of Abraham's bad decision. Because Abraham still didn't hear everything God had to say. Didn't fully trust him. So maybe right now you're on the broken road and you're like, God, how is this all going to work out? I don't have a kid. I don't have this. This is not in place. How are you going to work this out? And God just says, hey, it's okay. Abraham, I, he, and I love this phrase. You, we, could, we could go to the bank just with this phrase. Abraham, I will be your great reward. Now, don't overlook that. Abraham, would you like to have all the world or would you like to have me? You get to choose. How about you? You want all this world or... You want, you want what God has. He said, Abraham, I'll not only be your shield, but I'll be your great reward. Jesus said this way. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Interesting. Not many ways to God. One road, it's not a highway, it's a narrow road, it's Jesus. It's available for everybody, but there are not millions of ways to God. There's one way, very, very powerful. But then we get to the meat of it, okay. So now we've got this sacrifice laid out. Now this looks a little weird to all of us, but to Abraham, this sacrifice would have made sense, okay. So God says, go get the three-year-old cow, the goat, the sheep, two birds, and he cuts the animals in half. Now, I want you to understand, okay? We're not even going to do this with modern equipment. We're going to take a three-year-old cow and we're going to cut him in half long ways. Do you see any blood? Yes? Lots of blood. Now we're going to cut a sheep in half and now we're going to cut a goat in half. Do you see lots of blood? That's what I want you to see. I want you to see blood and guts all over the mountain. Because that's what's now there. And he says, you lay those pieces side by side. Okay. So Abraham does what he's told. Now Abraham's got another problem. God didn't tell him what time he'd come back for the sacrifice. Four o'clock, five o'clock, eight o'clock. 
So he's got a vulture problem, a buzzard problem. And he spends the rest of the day chasing away vultures. He's exhausted. Finally, goes to sleep. At dark, God shows up. Now, what's going on? This is where it gets fun, okay? It says that there's an oven and a torch that goes down between the sacrifices and consumes them. Any idea? Probably no reason for you to have any idea. Two things happened at that moment. The oven represents the judgment of God and the lighted torch. The light of the world represents Jesus, the grace of God. So the judgment of God and the grace of God come down and consume those sacrifices. But let me tell you why this is so good. So you always have to ask the Bible questions. So where did this happen? He's been talking with Melchizedek, right? And I showed you where Melchizedek's temple was, right on the Temple Mount. So where Adam was created is on top of Mount Moriah. Where Abraham talks with Melchizedek on top of Mount Moriah. In chapter 22, when God tells Abraham to bring his son Isaac back for a sacrifice, Abraham knew exactly where he was going. We read that like, well, I guess Abraham's just wandering around. No, no, no. Abraham knew exactly where he had to go. And this spot where these animals were sacrificed is the exact spot where Jesus will be crucified 4,000 years later. The blood of Jesus will be spilled on that exact spot. It all happened in exactly the same place. So what is the story about? Well, let me help you. In this time, 4,000 years ago, if you were a king and I was a king and you conquered me, we would lay out a sacrifice like this and you would say, Joe, here's the deal. You're going to pay me $100,000 in gold every year on June 1st. And if you do not... I will do to you what has been done to this bull, this sheep, and this goat. You understand the agreement? Yeah, I understand. Because if I don't agree, you're going to kill me. So the lesser king, the one who had been conquered, so that's me, I would be forced to walk between those animals and make a commitment to the king that I would be accountable to him or he would destroy me. So when Abraham lays out this sacrifice, Abraham knows exactly what he's doing. And Abraham is waiting for God to come back and say, Abraham, you now need to walk the gauntlet. Abraham, you need to walk down through, through this line and make a commitment to me. Is that what happened? Come on, is that what happened? Abraham doesn't do anything. Who goes between the sacrifices? God does. It's Jesus. Jesus goes through the sacrifices to show Abraham 
that God's son would be the one to pay the price for all of mankind. Abraham knew 4,000 years ago that Jesus would come, that Jesus would die. He knew what day Jesus would die on, and he knew what spot Jesus would be crucified on. That's the incredible thing about this story. So you need to understand the importance of the sacrifice. None of this was done randomly. It was all done on purpose to rescue our souls. And if you haven't accepted Jesus yet, don't go home without him. If you're online, you hit that button. I've decided people will talk to you. You come down front after the service. People will be here to answer questions, to help you find Jesus. Yesterday, <coughs> excuse me, just yesterday, seven, seven people accepted Jesus and were baptized. All right? That's awesome. <clears throat> but I'm guessing that there's that many here today that still need to make that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, for you to accept Jesus Christ. But the sacrifice here is so important. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, you're welcome to check this out. So, when Moses is leading Israel, Moses is the prophet. He speaks for God. Aaron's job is to be the priest, and the priest's job is to represent the people to God. See the difference? Moses from God to the people, Aaron from the people to God. Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, take over. And they offer, it says here, unauthorized fire on God's altar. Doesn't tell us what happened. Did they offer the wrong part of the animal? Did they offer it at the wrong time? Were they stealing from God? Did they offer a pig? We don't know. But I'll let you read the story. The people that got roasted that day were not the animals. It was Nadab and Abihu. Because they didn't take God's sacrifice seriously. They didn't think it was all that big of a deal. Paul says in Romans chapter 12... He said, I beseech you, brothers, that you and I be living sacrifices for God. What does that mean? It means that every day, I think in some ways it would be easier to die and say, you know what, Job, will you deny Christ or die? Just shoot me, let's get this over with. But that's not what he says. He says, you get up every day, Job. Your money's mine, your house is mine, your truck's mine, your car's mine. Your family's mine. That's what lordship means. That's what being a sacrifice means. You lay everything down. But I don't know what you need today. Do you need to listen to the voice of God? Because you've been listening to either his voice or another God. Are you on a road like Abraham going, man, I know all of God's promises, but I don't see how any of this is going to work out because my life's a mess. And you've got questions for God and you need to know, hey, God's saying, I got this. I got this. I'll be your shield and I'll be your great reward. Or do you need to understand the sacrifice that was paid for you and what it means to live as the sacrifice? This is just a, a great story, but it's tragic. Here's a picture of a ice, I don't know what you call it, an ice column, I guess. I've never seen anything like this. But uh, two guys were hiking out in the west and this huge ice column comes down the, down the hill and a his buddy shoves him out of the way and he gets crushed. The guy dies instantly. And the only thing I could think is Jesus' words when he said, 
No greater love is this than a man lays down his life for his friends. That's the whole story that Abraham knew, that Jesus lived, and we now get to look back at.